from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Yes. Hello. Happy to have you with us wherever you are joining us from around the world. I was recently in Colombia. In South America. In South America. And met a lot of our podcast listeners there. Mm-hmm. In fact, I played a little video for you, Wendy, of some podcast listeners. Yes, hello, Colombia. <laughs> and that was really fun to share. So wherever you are joining us from around the world, thank you very much for tuning in today. We hope our answers to your questions speak to your heart today. Mm-hmm. You and the TOB Institute team have been traveling a lot this year. Um, we have. We've, <laughs> we've been all over the... <clears throat> the, the, I was about to say the <laughs> flipping world, but no. yeah, we have been. We have been around the world. We were in Australia and New Zealand at the start of the year, then Mexico, then I went to Europe twice this summer, yeah, and then Colombia, and now we're going back to Europe for it's our for, cruise. For our cruise, right, yeah. What other updates do you have for us from the Institute? Other updates. We just announced the uh, annual course that we offer in conjunction with Desert Stream Ministries. We call this course Sexual Redemption and Integration, or Sexual Integration and Redemption, one of the two. And it's an opportunity, different from our typical courses, we're we're offering this, by the way, in person here in Pennsylvania at the end of January 2024, and we're telling you now to put it on your calendar. Yeah. Um, It's a different experience than our other courses. Our other courses are pretty much lecture-based with, you know, movie clips along the way, YouTube clips along the way, art. We're always integrating art, and then we watch a movie in the middle of the week, always on our regular courses. But this is, is yes, there's presentation and lecture, but it's much more based on a small group work mm-hmm. where the concepts of theology of the body in a very safe environment with people who have been doing this work for over 40 years, Andrew Kamiski started this work over 40 years ago. He's very seasoned and very wise about how to set up the right environment with the proper boundaries to allow people to do the interior work we need to do to take this theology of the body from our heads to our hearts and really look at relational wounds, um, personal wounds, sexual wounds, and really seek in the context of a loving community of, of fellow searchers and seekers to really seek and find healing. So consider coming. We'll have the link in the show notes below to learn more about mm-hmm. the actual dates. And it's, it's the end of January 2024. Life-changing experience for everybody who's ever done this. I, I went through this program myself it's about 12 years ago and found it very, very helpful. And we, we know here at the Institute, we, we don't just teach the theology. We really want to provide opportunities for people to apply the theology to the inner healing that we need. So that's what this course is all about. And I think, too, the people that are going to come um, will benefit even more if they've really taken a little time to just mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepare for the course, to kind of be in a state of readiness mm-hmm. to just go into those deeper places. If we if we squeeze it into a super busy schedule, our 
our minds and hearts aren't fully able to just take that dive into the right, interior right. spaces. So I like mentioning it now, you know, that people have time to really sense like, this is this is my turn. This is my time to go and address some of the things that I know are deep inside the Lord's grace wants to reach. And I need that set aside time to go there. And I'll say this for our, our patrons, or if you would like to become a patron, you could also access this our patrons have access already to a, a very shortened version, uh, just a day-long retreat that Andrew Comiskey and his team and I presented for our patrons on the patron community. So if you are a patron and you want to just get your, I was yeah. about to say get your toe wet, but I'm making, <laughs> what's the, what's the, dip your, what is that expression? Dip your toe in the pool or get, yeah. what is I don't know. Not get your t- what the heck am I trying to say? If you if you want to have wet. a little get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Sometimes my brain just doesn't function. Anyway, if you want to get your feet wet, which includes your toes, <laughs> uh, check that retreat out that I did with Andrew Comiskey and his team for on our patron community. If you're a patron, and if you are not a patron, would you prayerfully consider becoming a patron? We cannot do the work that we do without our faithful patrons who support us month after month. It enables us to do what we do. And we're at a time of real, I've shared this in the recent podcast, we're at a time of real growing pains at the Institute. We are in need of of expanding our staff and just to meet the demands that are on us. And we don't have the resources currently to do that. So we are counting on patrons to come our way to help support our work so we can grow. So. Yeah, just a little incentive to to join the patron community and take advantage of the benefits that we offer our patrons. And I actually have a question from a patron to start us off. Let's do it. And this And that's another benefit of being a patron. Okay. You enter a smaller pool when you submit a question. So better chance that we'll answer a question of yours. Uh, this is from an anonymous patron. Why can a husband bless his wife? But the wife can't bless her husband. Can you discuss spiritual authority and leadership within the domestic church? I have never heard of such a thing. I don't know where this person is getting this. I have no concept of it. And uh, I'll just say flat out, I think it's wrong. Mm. Um, you bless me all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this person has a, a, a more rigid understanding of the term blessing and let me try to go down this path to, if this person is, is thinking in, in real rigid terms, but I, I, I want to even back up from that and say, this is just part of church teaching that anybody can bless anybody else. There is something called an efficacious blessing that comes from a priest, right? That's an efficacious blessing that, that we know is effective. It really communicates a blessing, a blessing through the ordination, the sacrament of that priest ordination. But a layman or a laywoman can offer a blessing to anyone, and that blessing will be as effective as that person's holiness. So I often joke, you know, if, if somebody asks me for a blessing and I give it to him, I say, did you feel anything? Because that's an indication of how holy I am. <laughs> or if you don't feel anything, that's an indication of how much I have to grow in my holiness. Uh, so... <laughs> That's just a joke. That is you totally know. a joke. That's totally course. a joke to make the point, though, that I'm not a priest and, you know, it's a layman's blessing. So lay people can offer blessings and, 
And Wendy, your blessing I know is effective. So here's what some of... Um, I just want to say it's effective towards me because of your, your, you're my wife. And there's something about our sacrament that allows that blessing. That's, I think it's part of our, I think it's part of the grace of our sacrament that we're able to bless each other. So for us, like just to share from our marriage a tiny bit, like often when um, we were speaking about your travels, so often when Christopher is leaving for a trip, we, we are one of those Catholic families that keeps little bottles of holy water around in, in multiple locations in the house. So we'll open a drawer near us and pull out a bottle of holy water and I'll dip my thumb in the holy water and make the sign of, you know, just make a cross on your forehead and say a prayer of asking the Lord to bless you before your trip. Um, and you often will do the same for me and anyone in the house that's going to be Yep, yep. There while you're gone. So that's an example of just uh, blessing one another, you know, using holy water and a cross on the forehead, which is not unlike at a baptism when often the family gathered around are invited to make just a cross Mm -hmm. on the forehead of the person being baptized. So that's another example of that. But we also just use the words like, may the Lord bless you or I bless you. In praying for one another, whether or not that sort of slightly ritual aspect is there, I think it's just a general way of expressing our our affirmation, our sense of the Lord's um, affirmation and strengthening of one another in our mission and just in our day or in some challenging thing we're about to face. So those are ways that we incorporate blessing, I guess. I am still looking to, to offer some affirmation for trying and trying to imagine where this person might be coming from. And, mm-hmm. and here's what I, I want to say. There is a beautiful and rich teaching of the church that the family is the domestic church, the church in miniature. And that is, that is rich theologically. It's rich in pastoral experience for, for married couples who actually enter into that and live that. And in that, analogy, the husband is the priest of the domestic church. So there is a certain authority that a husband and a father has that is a different kind of authority than a mother has, right? It's a fatherly authority. It's a fatherly, there are, there are you have an authority as a mother that I don't have. Uh, I have an authority as a father that, that you don't have. There are differences here. I don't want to just uh, toss that idea out the window if that's where this person is coming from. But if somebody is, if if it's a, a real rigid application of this analogy that says uh, only the priest can provide a blessing and the husband is the priest in the domestic church, so only he can provide a blessing. Okay, there's a certain analogy there, but but I would not take that too far. I think to to take that to an extreme and say only the father in the family can provide a blessing, that would be that would be a really rigid application of an analogy that doesn't allow for the recognition that every layperson can offer a layman's blessing. Hmm. I think that's what yeah. I have to say about that for now. Okay. <laughs> that was an interesting question. I've ne- I, I like questions I've never received before that. So yeah. here's to you for asking a question I've never heard before. <laughs> exactly. Next one is from a listener named Jessica. Hi, Jessica. I'm a first-time mother to a beautiful four-month-old girl. Congratulations. Despite the hard days, overall, I'm really enjoying being a mother, and I feel like I'm absolutely living out what God intended for my life. But 
I am struggling a bit with how much of a huge life change it has been for me compared to my husband. He's a great father and very involved, but he just doesn't seem to understand how hard it has been to be pregnant, give birth, and be the primary caregiver to a baby. He complains that I'm irritable when I've had a tough night, or that the house isn't clean and tidy, or that I don't want to go to evening mass anymore because it messes up the bedtime routine. He talks excitedly about having another child as soon as possible, but tells me we shouldn't need to pay for help with childcare or housekeeping because it's my job to do all those things. I know it's not his fault that he can't understand pregnancy, breastfeeding, and night shifts from firsthand experience, but on hard days, these things can be tough to hear. We have a wonderful marriage, and he's a great man. I'm wondering whether you could give any insight here. How can I prevent our difference in roles, focus, and knowledge from creating resentment or mm. affecting our relationship? Wow, bless you, dear Jessica. I, I, I feel this often when people write to us. They're right within their question. There's a, a real rich wisdom already demonstrated. And Jessica's very ability to articulate what she articulated demonstrates there's already she's already prayed into this like the, what she's sharing comes from it seems to me it comes from a place of of prayerfulness and yeah. openness to the lord and pouring her heart out to the lord and and I can remember when we started having babies a long time ago <laughs> uh in the 1990s that man there is a steep learning curve there for a man to understand, and psh, we've had five kids, and I can't claim, even after five kids, that I fully entered into with proper reverence and understanding towards you, my love, what you go through. And there really, there really is a struggle there for men. So I, I would approach this, Jessica, from two angles. One would be compassion for your husband, whose world has been rocked uh, differently than your world has been rocked, but nonetheless, it has been rocked. It is, it is a rocking of the, the, the boat to bring a baby into a marriage. It just changes the dynamic. It, it can throw things off kilter from patterns that you, you were used to. And there are so many, many adjustments that need to be made. So from one angle, I would invite you to to ask the Lord for the grace to have a certain compassion on your husband in his adjustment to this new reality. His difficulty in adjusting is evidenced by the fact that he's thinking you can still tend to all kinds of things with ease that you can't necessarily tend to with ease because so much of your time and energy is taken up with a little one. And so on the one hand, compassion towards your husband for all the adjustments that he's going through. And then on the other hand, an invitation to, for your husband. Uh, I'm inviting you to invite him to have compassion on you for the adjustment that you are going through that you feel almost inevitably in a, in a more taxing way than he does. And it's just part of our human nature that we kind of project onto other people our own view of things. And we need to, and Wendy, you and I can attest to this on all kinds of levels in married life. 
I, I need you, Wendy, to help me enter your world. I need mm. you to invite me into it. I need you to, to verbalize for me uh, what you're going through so I can have compassion and tenderness toward you, which I would often lack um, if you didn't verbalize things that you're really going through. And I know sometimes there's been a, a pattern in our marriage where you or I could go either way, have expected the other to understand what we're going through without verbalizing it. And then there's this resentment. Well, why don't you already understand it without my verbalizing it? And then we've, we've had to learn the hard way that verbalization of what we're going through is really, really important and not to assume that the other person does know or should know or get resentful that you don't know without me verbalizing it. So just to reiterate, I invite you, Jessica, to a certain compassion towards him, and I invite you to invite him to a compassion towards you by opening up your heart to him and what you're going through. And ask him also to open his heart to you for for you to understand more what he's going through. And I think that will bring a, a, a richer communion and would ward off that kind of resentment that you're understandably raising concern could creep in. Mm-hmm. I, I love the way you answered that question so much. I, I love the the gentleness with which you are approaching both of them in this time of a lot of change. And um, I think something that strikes me is that for me, I often don't know what I was expecting until it doesn't happen. Dude, right. <laughs> I can vouch for when you like this. This is an example right here where you're verbalizing something. Yeah. That yeah yeah you put it in words like okay I get the yes that is a that is that's a pattern that for is a me pa- yes that is right so and I have I, it's been pain. it's very hard it's hard because then I I don't have the instinct to like give advance notice yes, that I'm expecting correct, something correct all I experience is surprise and disappointment and confusion wah, when wah, wah. <laughs> something <laughs> isn't as I expected. So um, I just share that because I'm just, you know, a fallen, imperfect, imperfect human being. And I, you know, have discovered that about myself many, many times over the years. Um, and certainly um, it could be true of Jessica's husband that um, he's kind of holding on to certain expectations of what their life would be like with a baby that aren't really happening as he expected. And it may be he's sort of asserting a certain, like, it should be this way because I expected it to right, be this way. Right. And the the reality of each marriage is that it's made of two unique individuals. And it may be that her husband has observed other wives' mothers in some way that he assumed things would be similar in their life. I, you know, I don't know where his ideas have come from, but the fact is it's, it's not that for Jessica and her husband. And I never like to think of just the mother as a mother all on her own or the father as a father all on his own. Like that in our fallen world happens in divorce. But when you're married and you are loving your children together, you are your parents together in different yes, ways, yes, but yes. your expression of fatherhood is always in the context of being a, a father with me as the mother. And same for me. 
I don't know if I'm making that very clear. Yes, I hope yes, yes. that we are a unique pair yes. is what I'm trying to say. And and the adjustments you're going through are different, and yet they are also related to you two being the parents as, as a unique couple. And you are going to continue to grow together through parenthood just as you've grown already in your marriage in different ways by learning to understand one another in new circumstances and to anticipate each other's gifts, strengths, and weaknesses and needs in in new ways throughout your life as parents. So I I really encourage you that it's a gift, as Christopher was saying, that um, you've already prayerfully reflected on what the dynamics are right now for you. Uh, because to be that aware is such a grace mm-hmm. um, and enables so much growth to happen. So we're we're seeing the Lord at work here and um I think the the help to not become resentful comes from that um, communication and the the gift of seeing things from the other's perspective, um, and and realizing you're both being stretched and and being shown your neediness for one another and for grace from the Lord that um, is part of your whole journey. I'm I'm having a taste in my mouth right now of some of our early struggles in marriage when mm-hmm. when I think you put your finger on it Wendy when you said we have these certain expectations that we bring into a relationship and we don't even realize we're doing it it's just the way we've been raised perhaps uh, I mean I know when we got married I had all kinds of expectations that I didn't even know I had just because of the family I grew up in, I just thought, well, that's the way it goes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. no, that's the way it was for when I grew up. This is the way it's going to be when we're married, and this is how it's going to go. And you have your own set of expectations from the way right. you were raised and the way you came into married life. And and we, we've just come up with this language to describe our own situation of, of learning to form our own family culture. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a leaving of father and mother and clinging to your wife— uh, to, to start something new. And just as you said, each couple is unique. Wendy, you brought your person, unique, unrepeatable. I brought my person, unique, unrepeatable, with all of our background and experiences. And the project of marriage is to form this new reality, this new culture, and learn, as you said, Wendy, with gifts and shortcomings and weaknesses and all together, how to form something new. And, and that's an ongoing, ever-changing, ever-adapting, always, if it's going to work, the word always is going to be followed with merciful. We have to be merciful always towards one another. Mm-hmm. I've said it many times on this podcast before. I believe the number one ingredient of a successful marriage and any human relationship is mercy because you're dealing with a fallen human being. And the only way we can relate as fallen human beings to each other with some modicum of peace and prosperity is through generous, generous doses of mercy. One further thought is we've talked about communication and, and our own prayer and compassion. And um, I, I haven't heard us say about praying for one another, mm. but I do think maybe we're assuming that. Yes. I just want to say it. And in a specific way, I think that Jessica can help her husband to help her in this challenging time would be to 
let him know when she isn't feeling a particular need for his prayers. So, for example, to say, um, nap time didn't happen at all today. Please pray for me. I'm really struggling. You know, at some point, if that's your situation. And also to thank one another for your prayers for one another. So to recognize your role as intercessors for one another it aids in that building of compassion and unity in your in your parenting. And to take it back to the first question, to offer each other blessings mm-hmm. in in where 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 it's particularly vulnerable, where we're in need of affirmation and blessing, that shall we say is a blessing mm. to offer blessing. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Josh. Hey Josh. Hello Christopher and Wendy. Since discovering your podcast earlier this year, I've been deeply inspired by the wisdom you both share. I'm a 25-year-old man who aspires to the vocation of marriage. I recently went on a date with a young lady I met on a dating app. We share many similarities, including our faith in Christ, although she's Anglican and I'm Catholic. During our date, I found myself creating a mental checklist for her to be my ideal wife. Mm. In doing so, I realized that I had lost sight of what truly matters, the beauty of her spirit, the warmth of her laughter, the genuine kindness in her heart. I'm aware of the potential challenges and differences that might arise from our differing religious backgrounds. While I see the value in pursuing a deeper connection, I've taken a step back from committing to a relationship. This decision has caused hurt on both sides, and I fear we might not be able to remain friends. I'm uncertain whether my choice is driven by selfishness or prudence. I worry that I might miss out on the opportunity God might have presented to us. What should I do? I'm torn between my concerns and the possibility of letting go of someone whom God may have placed in my life. Wow. Um, I'm just going to say as a disclaimer right up front, I cannot possibly discern what you are to do for you, but I can maybe give you some parameters that maybe uh, could guide you in your own discernment, Uh, because this really is a question that you need to take before the Lord, Josh, and and ask. I want to affirm that I don't think you are, I don't think you are wrong to be concerned that uh, differing religious backgrounds could be really difficult and problematic. Yeah, yeah, they really can be. The, the Catholic Church does, does allow us, obviously, to, to marry people who don't share our faith. So it's, it's not inherently wrong, but it's not encouraged because it will be inherently difficult and problematic. Uh, there's nothing more fundamental in our lives than our relationship with God. And when there are differences in those fundamentals that can cause added strain to a marriage, when there's already enough strain, even when you do share common faith, common belief. So I think you're right to recognize there are real concerns, even strong enough concerns to say, this might not be the person I'm meant to marry. On the other hand, I know mixed marriages where the Lord has worked 
through that mixed marriage, uh, beautiful healings. And it's a gift to the whole body of Christ when people with religious differences learn how to love one another through those differences. So that itself can be a grace. Uh, So you got to hold those two together. Part of your question that I cannot answer for you at all is, are you being selfish? I have no idea. I would just invite you to, to open up your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord, can you shine a light on my heart? Can you reveal to me if there are places in my heart where I'm acting out of fear or I'm acting out of selfishness or I see the real challenges that are going to be part of any marital relationship and that scares me and I'm backing away in a way that, that is kind of recoiling from the challenges of learning how to love, right? And that can be the sin of sloth, right? I I love St. Thomas's definition of sloth. He says, sloth is the sadness we feel because the good is difficult. And yeah, marriage is difficult. If you find yourself retreating because you're looking ahead and you're like, man, this is going to be difficult. Any marriage is going to be difficult. So learning to love is difficult. So we all have to face the sadness we feel that life ain't a bowl of cherries and there's sacrifice and suffering involved. Josh, I don't know that I could say much more than that other than just inviting you really to lay your heart bare before the Lord in prayer and learn the art of listening. And that, that can be torturous if, we, if we're accustomed to noise in our lives, if we're accustomed to distraction. Prayer is a time of learning the art of silence, learning the art of stillness, learning the art of listening to the way the Lord speaks to our hearts. And we can't ever claim infallibility here. Oh, thus says the Lord, I know he said this to me. We can say, it seems to me, or I'm pretty sure, or all the signs indicate, so I'm going to step out in faith and trust this. But we always have to hold what we're hearing in prayer with a certain with a certain open-handedness and and continue to test it. And if you have a a wise spiritual director to obviously put it out in the light with that spiritual director, everything I hear in prayer, I always put out in the light with my spiritual director. I say, do you, can you confirm, am I hearing the Lord here? And and many times you'll say, yes, I really do hear the Lord speaking to you in that way. Other times you'll say, no, I think you're kind of making that up. I I don't think that's the voice of the Father. So, going to somebody who has wise counsel to share with you about, who has learned that art of listening prayer, who can help you learn the art of listening prayer. Maybe the Lord's going to speak to you through a memory. Maybe the Lord's going to speak to you through a song. Maybe the Lord's going to speak to you through a scene from a movie. I was just in prayer this morning, and the scene from Back to the Future came to my mind. Uh, I was looking at some some places where I, I, I know I, I need to be more vulnerable in my life, and, and the scene that came to my mind was George McFly saying, I just don't know if I can handle that kind of rejection. <laughs> and you know, there's a reason that movie scene came to my mind. So these are ways the Lord can speak. I'm just trying to share examples. If listening prayer to you is a new idea, I'm just trying to share common examples that people experience in their listening prayer. Uh, that would be my best uh, word of advice to you, Josh, is to take your heart and all its questions here about whether you're meant to be in this relationship to, to, to prayer and to learn the art of listening prayer. Yeah, Josh, I, I 
just looked back over your question because I, as Christopher was um, offering his thoughts, I was realizing I, I didn't remember if you had shared your age, you know, where you are in life. And I, I looked back and saw that you had said you are 25. And I just feel like sometimes some of these questions are answered differently based on a person's stage in life. A lot of circumstances can come into play when we're looking at things like um, these important, very important relationships. There is no more important decision, no more life-directing decision than to marry someone. I mean, if I look over my story, the decision to marry Christopher, it's not the start of my story, but it's like pivotal in who I am, right? And same for you. Yes, absolutely. It is pivotal. So it's understandable to kind of tread carefully and to consider things. And maybe even the fact of, you know, signing up for a dating app that wasn't only open to Catholics or not, you know, or or choosing to go out on a date with someone who wasn't a Catholic, you know, was due to circumstances in your life that we can't know. Um, but it could be that this experience is, at this point, at 25 years old, is maybe a moment where you're saying, okay, this is this is the real deal when I think about the future. Maybe it's clarifying something that is painful to clarify, but important. I do think it's it can be confusing when in the moment you said it's hurting on both sides. And and that pain, that natural pain of feeling just a desire to pursue this relationship on one level and yet caution about it on, on another level, that is a painful dynamic that you are looking at and that she's experiencing as well. And yet there are times when in the midst of all that pain, God is really doing something that we need to trust him. Uh, the very you know fact that you're saying, I, I couldn't commit to the relationship. Um, I just think you need to trust that instinct. I'm not, like Christopher said, we don't know where that's going to lead eventually. But there's no reason to put pressure on yourself to figure it all out right away. There's a certain way in which we're asked to trust the Lord that he's given us this caution. Um, and maybe, yes, like Christopher said, talking to a spiritual director or just friends who know you well um, or that you trust their wisdom um, could be the next step. Um, Josh, I, we are praying for you. I think it's a, it's already a sign of grace as you shared about the date that you were catching yourself, um, looking at her qualities and asking, you know, well, does she meet this standard? Does she meet that standard? And and that you caught that and, and took a step back and said, who is this gift in front of me? I want to just appreciate her. That is beautiful yeah, that, maturation I, and growth in you, Josh. I want to affirm that as well, Wendy, that that struck me when you read his question, mm -hmm. that that's a sign that he caught himself there. Yeah is a sign of a maturity because we we don't marry a list of qualities. Yep. We marry a unique person. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain danger in listing out the qualities you want in a spouse because you could find those same qualities in any number of people. Qualities are repeatable. You can find them in any number of, of people. But 
the person is unrepeatable. And John Paul II is so wise when he says, if love does not reach the mystery of the unrepeatability of the person, it's on a very shaky foundation because qualities change, qualities fade, but the unrepeatable dignity and mystery of the person never fades, never changes. It's, it's that which is stable and enables a stable relationship. Um, and I'll just throw out one more thought here for you, Josh. Um, we don't know because you didn't supply this information in your question, but have you explored whether she's open to the Catholic faith? Uh, that, who knows? Maybe, she, maybe you haven't put that out on the table. Maybe you walked away from the relationship without really putting that out on the table. Or maybe you put it out on the table and she said, no, I'm not open to that, and that was the end of the relationship. If that were the case, I would tend to side with you that you did the right thing, that if she's totally closed to exploring the Catholic faith, well, I, I don't know how you could build a relationship on that uh, if, she, if there's a total closed door. Um, but if you haven't put that out in the light, I would invite you to consider, would, would she be open to exploring the Catholic faith with you uh, for an opportunity for you to deepen your Catholic faith and an opportunity for her to deepen her Catholic faith? Uh, maybe she'd be open to taking the TOB1 online class that we're going to be offering very soon. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes uh, to, yeah, to consider that. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I just, because I, I, I didn't catch that in your question. So. Right. right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. Yes. Now it's time to say goodbye to, to all our family. M-I-C-K-E-Y M-O-U Well, that dates us, doesn't it, Wendy? It does. Oh, well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Please keep your questions coming. We love being in this relationship with all of our podcast listeners. Until next time, may you know it in your bones that you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.